Ahead of Their Time is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. And if you've been listening to this series over the last few weeks, you'll know we're big fans of The Great Courses Plus, and we want you to discover it too. With The Great Courses Plus, you'll get unlimited access to stream an extensive library of video courses on topics like history, science, economics, even photography. You can even try one of our favorites, like Big Data, How Data Analytics is Transforming the World. So sign up for The Great Courses Plus today, and as our listener, you can get one month of free, unlimited access to all the courses. Start your free month today by going to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash time. Remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash time. I don't think nobody has ever been who, I, who I'm trying to be. In May of 2015, Cam Newton, the Carolina Panthers' starting quarterback, gave an interview to a local TV station in North Carolina. Nobody's had the size, nobody's had the speed, nobody's had the arm strength, nobody's had the tangibles that I've had. to the end zone! Touchdown, Carolina! Cam Newton, all six foot five of it. When Newton talks like this, he inspires the usual reactions from the hot take artists in sports media. The usual reactions to any black athlete professing his own talent. I want my quarterback to be the class of the organization. So what do you want your quarterback to say? You know, you can say I strive to be great, but I'm not there yet. How awesome you all doesn't matter until you show me some rings and you show me that you're, you're Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, any of those people. But while those reactions often focused on Newton's ego and how he should behave more like white quarterbacks, they didn't really inspire a conversation about whether he was actually right. Had the league ever seen a player like Cam Newton before? A player who could run and throw. A black quarterback at the top of his game, marching his offense down the field and terrifying defenses. I'm Neil Payne, and this week on Ahead of Their Time, you're going to hear the story of a guy who paved the way for Cam Newton. The dual threat quarterback when quarterbacks weren't really supposed to run. The ultimate weapon, Randall Cunningham of the Philadelphia Eagles. He flies into the end zone. Touchdown! Ramblin' Randall! Think of a quarterback from the mid to late 20th century, and you think of... Joe Namath. Namath, red hot, 9 out of 13. And he makes it! Johnny Unitas. Johnny Unitas, the quarterback who couldn't get a job a few years ago, moving the ball to the Giants' one. Dan Marino. spectacular effort by Marino, who fires... Dr. Charles Ross wrote a book about the history of African-Americans in the NFL. And he says for the longest time in the league, there was this belief. That quarterbacks are not supposed to run, that they're not supposed to go outside of the pocket and open themselves up to defenses where they're now potentially going to get hurt. This means you get quarterbacks who are very good at throwing the ball, but can't really do much else. Quarterbacks that basically stayed in the pocket, read defenses, And if the pass rush came close, then you're really supposed to kind of throw the ball away. Oh, and there was this other thing quarterbacks weren't supposed to be. African-American players are not allowed to play the so-called kind of cerebral positions, such as safety or middle linebacker, and without question, of course, not quarterback. It was a position that was associated with intelligence. Kyle Wagner is 538 sports editor, and he also wrote the big book of black quarterbacks for Deadspin. It's racism. The white men who were in charge of deciding who got to play quarterback decided that black men were not intelligent enough to play the position. You can trace this racism right back to the very early days of the NFL. Black players had a very kind of precarious existence from 
1920 up until about 1933. You only have 13, 14 or so African Americans that play professional football. And, and after the 1933 season, a color barrier is established by NFL owners. It took until the 1960s for the league to officially desegregate. And yet, the color line remained. It's just this time, it was drawn within the game itself. The sport developed an informal language that acted as its own racial classification system. Uh, just listen to the broadcast of a game, and you would be able to differentiate the racial background of an individual that's an African-American a quarterback and an individual that was a white quarterback. You're going to hear adjectives such as... A guy with great natural ability. Pulls the ball down quickly, willing to run. He's a very gifted athlete. Very, very athletic. And then you have certain adjectives in terms of someone that stands in the pocket, great leader, very, very heady. Defensive man. It's not how fast you are, it's how smart you are. Beautiful, very intelligent. There is a line drawn between players who can run fast and who are very strong and, you know, players who use their minds to win. And the idea that like, you can't have both has festered for a really long time. And this idea didn't go away. In the mid-1980s, the league looked the same as it did in the 1960s. Your quarterback was white, even though most of your other players were black. That was basically true across the league, from the Miami Dolphins to the Seattle Seahawks and almost everywhere in between, including the Philadelphia Eagles. Their white quarterback, Ron Jaworski, had been with the team about 10 years, and he was a solid pocket passer. But he couldn't run, and the Eagles hadn't gotten anywhere in the postseason since the beginning of the decade. And if you know anything at all about Philly fans, the Eagles is taking it to the Super Bowl. Okay, what you know say? that they don't tend to take failure very well. They expect them to win the Super Bowl every year. So you can imagine how they feel, given that the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl. My name is Mark Bowden. I wrote a book in 1994 called "Bringing the Heat" about the Philadelphia Eagles. They're frustrated, impatient, loud, opinionated, uh, but they also have a powerful sense of loyalty to a team that has uh, mostly disappointed them. So in 1985, the Eagles front office decided it might be time for a change. In the draft that year, they decided to take a flyer on a young, black quarterback straight out of UNLV. Strike up the band, we have our first quarterback selected, Randall Cunningham. Is it a surprise? I think it is. That it was Cunningham is number one. You'd have to believe so. He, he is a multifaceted athlete. We talked well, about the smaller Randall, in the beginning, when you first you know see this guy, you're really not sure because he wasn't the prototypical quarterback at the time. Eric Allen was a defensive back for the Eagles during the 1980s and 90s. He was skinny extremely tall, you know, had the appearance of just California kid, real kicked back, laid back demeanor, calm and cool. It was different for me. It was an adjustment because I had grown up in California and uh, culturally speaking, you know, it was predominantly not an African-American town. <laughs> That's Randall Cunningham. So getting to Philadelphia and seeing a lot of people who had the same uh, 
tone uh, skin as mine was was really an excitement because I had never really been around that. Philly was a whole new experience for Randall, and it quickly became clear that Randall was a whole new experience for Philly, too. As soon as he stepped on the field, you knew that there was something special about Randall. Randall Cunningham was not your ordinary quarterback. He wasn't a Dan Marino or a Joe Namath or even a Ron Jaworski. Randall could do things most quarterbacks couldn't dream of. The thing about Randall was he could run. Down the sideline, he'll score! And he could pass. Cunningham going long, touchdown! Randall was not the first black quarterback in the NFL. Guys like Doug Williams and Warren Moon had been doing well in the league for years. Those guys played in the pocket, like a traditional QB. Randall was unique. Randall was the first ever black quarterback to electrify the crowd with both his arm and his legs. Randall was a dual threat QB. He used that ability to now extend plays and also to be able to pick up first downs, which I think was something that defenses had not really seen and had a very, very, very difficult time adjusting to. In fact, Randall was more than just a dual threat. Randall could even punt. Quarterback comes back and punts the ball 91 yards. Randall was good and he knew it. Randall is good and he's going to tell you he's good. What did Little Richard say? Don't be mad at me because I'm beautiful. Randall was blunt in a way that other black quarterbacks hadn't been to that point. Randall had all the skills and the attitude, but the Eagles weren't quite ready to transfer their offense away from old-school Ron Jaworski to their new young hotshot QB. Randall didn't get much playing time during his first season under coach Marion Campbell. But then, Buddy Ryan came along. The face is that Buddy Ryan has been rumored to be the next coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Buddy Ryan was the master of the modern defense. He came to the Eagles as head coach after winning the Super Bowl as the defensive coordinator for the legendary 1985 Chicago Bears. Hungry Chicago, finally champions. The expectations for Buddy's team were extremely high. And Buddy was also a kind of charismatic figure who I think Philadelphia fans took to immediately. Buddy was very cocky and sure of himself and believed his decisions were the best. One of those decisions was making Randall his starting quarterback. Buddy saw Randall and he thought, this is the future of the position. Buddy Ryan allowed me to be the player he believed I could be. He saw something in me and gave me an opportunity to really take it to a whole nother level. The problem was, as much as Buddy Ryan wanted to leave Randall to his own devices, the Eagles' offensive coordinator, a guy by the name of Rich Kotite, wasn't buying it. Rich Kotite wanted Randall to do what he was told. Rich Kotite believed that if his players could execute the plays as drawn effectively, that you didn't need fancy moves and you didn't need trick plays And you didn't even need superstars. And you didn't really need Randall. He would get furious with Randall Cunningham for not doing what he wanted him to do. And Buddy would say, leave Randall alone. Let him do what he wants to do. That first season under Ryan, the Eagles finished with a losing record. But for the first time, Randall was let loose on opposing defenses. Cunningham 
Touchdown. Pocket holding up. That's a man wide open. Fred Barnett. Touchdown, Eagles. Randall was excelling, playing with freedom and presenting new challenges for defenses across the league. But his best was yet to come. Pretty soon, Randall would have a moment that ended up changing football forever. I think that play causes a shift among fans and coaches that the time is now that this is something that can make the game better. More of that after this message. Here at 538, we always find it rewarding to learn something new. And that's why we're big fans of the Great Courses Plus video learning service. The Great Courses Plus gives you unlimited access to a huge library of video lectures on so many topics, from business to history, science, photography, even how to become a better writer, which I desperately need. Presented by award-winning professors and experts in their fields, you can stream these lectures anytime, any place, and you can start and pick up again from any device, a mobile phone, a tablet, a laptop, even a TV. One of the fascinating courses I found in The Great Courses Plus was Big Data, How Data Analytics is Transforming the World. You know, when we came up with the idea for this series, we wanted to look at some of the ways data had changed sports. So this course is right up our alley. Just look at the lecture they have on Moneyball, where they talk about the baseball book of the same name by Michael Lewis, where he covered the 2002 Oakland A's. They also get into how stats are changing every sport, more than just baseball. And right now, as one of our listeners, when you sign up, you'll immediately get an entire month of unlimited access to all of the Great Courses Plus lectures for free. So don't wait. Start your free month now. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash time. Remember, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash time. Every now and then, an individual athlete can do something that ushers in a total shift in the way people think about their sport. And for Randall Cunningham in the NFL, that moment came on October 10th, 1988. I can see it like it happened yesterday. Charles Ross again. There's a play that he makes on Monday Night Football that I think really uh, epitomizes the future of the quarterback position. Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia. The Giants are in town. At that time, the New York Giants had one of the best defenses in the league, and linebacker Carl Banks was one of its leaders. I think without a doubt, NFL offenses feared our team, our defense. We knew that for a fact because we could see the fear each and every time we played someone. But Randall was different. Randall put every defense and defensive coordinator in fit. That included future coaching legend Bill Belichick, who at the time was heading up the Giants' defense. Bill Belichick constructed a game plan that we had every time we played Randall was the Randall Cunningham scramble rule, and that was GTFB, and that was get the fuck back. Usually, get the fuck back meant keeping yourself between Randall and the end zone and not overcommitting by going for the sack. But on that particular play, Carl Banks saw an opportunity to hit Randall, and he went for it. I mean, it was a typical goal line or what we call red zone play, and we knew that uh, it was a rollout. Randall took the snap and sprinted to his right, but Banks read it perfectly. 
As Randall got closer to the sideline, Banks was right in his face. You know, you see the play coming, you're like, oh boy, I'm going to really get this one. I'm going to lay him out, you know, because he's running right into me. Like, And there was, I made my move. When Carl came, he got up on me so fast, I was like, oh my God, Carl's six foot four, 245 pounds. Banks wrapped his arms around Randall's legs, all 200 plus pounds of him slamming into Randall's body. Randall's legs went flying through the air, and his body came crashing down. I thought he was down. He was splayed out, balancing on his hands and the tips of his toes. And Banks was on the ground. He thought he had him. In fact, he knew he had him. However, Cunningham puts his hand down, left hand down. Keeps his balance, stands back up, and throws a pass for a touchdown. Maintained his balance. We talked about his athleticism. And he fires in the corner. I look back behind me and see um, the tight end in the back of the end zone catching the ball and spiking it. And I was just like, oh, my God. Randall Cunningham is a ready for prime time player. Carl Banks fell down like, oh, my God, how did that just happen? I think I fell over backwards like I can't believe that just happened. And then I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, how did I do that? <laughs> this guy has not been seen by many national audiences before. Randall Cunningham, that it was just like holy crap you know I just it was unbelievable uh, that it happened and then you you go back and you look at the play over and over again and see if there was something you could have done better and it really wasn't I can imagine there are some people that have played against Michael Jordan and did everything right and Michael Jordan still hit the shot a spectacular play we're glad you saw it let's just do it it was one of those moments where you say Everything that Randall is, he was able to show you on that play. I think that play, when it, was, when it takes place on Monday Night Football and everybody in America has nothing else to do but watch that particular football game and see that play, and I think that causes a shift among fans and coaches that the time is now that this is something that needs to be developed. And this is something that can make the game better. In that one play, Randall demonstrated the value of the dual threat quarterback. By scrambling to the sideline, breaking Banks' tackle, and then throwing a dart to the end zone for a touchdown, Randall opened the league's eyes to the idea that quarterbacks don't need to sit still in the pocket. The quarterbacks, like Randall Cunningham, can contain multitudes. It's, it really just now began to make people say, well, what's next? I mean, what, what, what can't he do? Suddenly, Randall was everywhere. In 1989, he was featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the strapline, The Ultimate Weapon. He hosted his own talk show, had his own clothing line, hung out with Whitney Houston, and was pictured with Michael Jackson. Even had a kid's yeah. game show called Scramble Randall, with Randall. On the field, Randall was on the rise, at the center of an offensive system that just let Randall be Randall. There's Cunningham. Dodges left and puts it way downfield. A 95-yard touchdown. But although defenses weren't really sure how to deal with Randall, the Eagles couldn't make it past the first round of the playoffs. 
Coach Buddy Ryan's defense was working as well as it ever had, but his offense just wasn't clicking. Part of his problem was that he was so much a defensive coach that he neglected, I think, uh, the other half of the game. Um, and I think it showed in the Eagles' performance. I mean, Randall was, for Buddy, a cop-out. By obtaining Randall and letting him play and, and encouraging him to be innovative and creative on the field, I think Buddy believed and expected that Randall would score enough points uh, for the Eagles that they could win games with their powerful defense. Buddy had the vision to set Randall free but he wasn't able to build an offense around him that would allow him to succeed. We had to build an offensive line, and some of the players you know, that we were getting in just didn't pan out. Randall couldn't do it by himself. The Eagles lost three first-round playoff games in a row, and in 1991, three years after Randall's landmark play against the Giants, they fired Buddy Ryan, and they replaced him with, uh-oh, Rich Kotite. Not only were Buddy and Rich, completely different personalities, but their philosophy on how a team was run was completely opposite as well. Dave Alexander played center for the Eagles alongside Randall. Buddy's from small town Oklahoma. Rich Kotite's from Staten Island. Buddy is run and gun defense, and Rich Kotite was old school, conservative offense. And that was pretty much the antithesis of Randall Cunningham. As soon as Buddy was gone, Rich was in charge, and Randall's days of innovating on the field were numbered. Rich told Randall he couldn't run around anymore. And then Randall tore his ACL in the first game of the 1991 season, and he missed the rest of the year. Randall blamed Rich. He thought without Rich telling him to stay in the pocket, he'd never have picked up that injury. And then he came back in 1992, and he did struggle with playing within the restrictions that Rich put on him. And when he didn't do exactly what Rich wanted him to do, or if he blundered, which all quarterbacks do from time to time, he would find himself on the bench, which was deeply humiliating for someone like Randall Cunningham. I felt as though if I made a mistake, I was going to be sat down. And so it was a drastic change from saying, hey, kid, I believe in you. Get out there, run the offense, you know, uh, you know, make a few big plays, and we're going to win games. Was Rich Kotite good for Randall? The simple answer is probably no. He had an offense that he had built, and it was built around a certain type of quarterback, so he tried to make me into the quarterback he wanted me to be. And Randall was not going to be able to do that. That was not in Randall's DNA. Here's Randall back in 1992 talking about trying to come back from injury. You know, you get criticized. Cunningham's not a Montana. He scrambles too much, this, that. And then sometimes it gets on your conscience and you try to be somebody that you're not. And um, when I come back, I'll be myself. I'm not going to try to be something that everybody wants me to be. Randall was frustrated. He never spoke about race, but this is just about the closest he came to it. When he mentioned Joe Montana, he was referring to all those people who thought quarterbacks just shouldn't play like Randall plays, and they shouldn't look like Randall looks. All those people who didn't really think quarterbacks should be black. Here's 538's Kyle Wagner again. There's this insistence that a certain way of playing quarterback is the platonic ideal. 
The problem for quarterbacks like Randall Cunningham is the platonic ideal Kyle's talking about looks a certain way. I mean, it's Joe Montana and it's uh, Peyton Manning, it's Tom Brady, it's the standard statuesque uh, dropback quarterback, not someone who is breaking out of the pocket and dancing around and heaving the ball 60 yards down the field. Asking Randall to stop running around in the pocket, to just drop back, do his reads, and find his receivers is just exactly coded to be play more like the white quarterbacks. Randall was slowly chipping away at the color line for NFL quarterbacks, but he also kept coming up against the contradictions that face any successful black athlete in America. On the one hand, here African-American quarterbacks really hadn't had an opportunity to play the position. And so now, once he gets this opportunity to play the position and he makes this phenomenal play on Monday Night Football, now everyone wants him to now come and start endorsing products. And then also, people in the media began to characterize him as, well, he's this self-promoting person, so you can't win. It's the same criticism black quarterbacks like Cam Newton face today. Randall just couldn't catch a break. First, his coach tried to change the way he played, and then the Philadelphia media started a turn on him for being too self-promoting. And that pressure off the field played itself out on the field as well. Everyone really believed, and Randall more than anyone else, that he was going to lead the Eagles to a kind of dynasty. After the Eagles lost the divisional playoff in 1992, it became clear Randall might never live up to the weight of expectation those Philly fans had placed on his head. Here's producer Joe Sykes talking to Randall about his time in Philly. Do you think that you reached your potential in Philadelphia? No, because I had matured. You know, I was mature in my body, but when it came to experiencing the game, I always felt like I was I was hurried, hurried in every single thing I did. Everything was like right now, hashtag right now, right now. I got to the point where I hated football after that season, and I didn't even want to watch football. It wasn't a game anymore. It wasn't fun anymore. It was more of just a business, and it wasn't, you know, going out and playing catch and enjoying the game. The Eagles had been at the forefront of a radical NFL experiment, having a black starting quarterback and letting him play his way, letting him pass and run and even call plays. But they got cold feet, and Randall left the team in 1995. I think Randall Cunningham's career with the Eagles will always be regarded as a disappointment. But the numbers tell a different story. Between 1988 and 1990, Randall was one of the most valuable quarterbacks in football, according to yards above replacement. It's a metric that combines a QB's passing and rushing production. He was also unique. Nearly a third of his value was tied up in running the ball. Randall keeps his footing and a touchdown! Few quarterbacks of that era were as good as Randall, and nobody did it the same way he did, by both running and passing. His 1990 season was the finest rushing season by a QB in the Super Bowl era at the time. And gets to the nine and a first down. We ought to give Raven Caldwell Carl Banks' phone number. Randall even shaped the way analytics thinks about QBs. His success as a runner forced statisticians to consider more than just passing numbers when evaluating a quarterback's performance. Today's modern metrics, like ESPN's Total QBR, have a rushing component in them specifically to account for dual-threat QBs like Randall and his spiritual successors, like Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. So Randall was great in his own time, but he was also ahead of his time. He was a maverick for African-American quarterbacks. He's not Jackie Robinson that he was, you know, he's not the first. But 
in some ways, he's kind of like maybe almost like the Willie Mays because, you know, Willie Mays can do it all. And so you have a player now that can run for a touchdown at the quarterback position and then also throw a 60-yard pass for a touchdown. You, ha- you hadn't seen anything like that in the NFL. Randall dropped out of the game for a few years after leaving Philadelphia. But he came back in 1998 to play for the Minnesota Vikings. And although he couldn't run much anymore, he was still a hell of a thrower. And he almost led the team to the Super Bowl. When I went to Minnesota, people were able to see a whole other side of the game. That, oh, he's not just a running quarterback. Oh, he does complete 60% of his passes. And he does throw for 30 touchdowns. Well, that's what happens when you're on a team where you have a a great offensive line and, and great coaching. But it's Randall's time in Philly that everyone will remember, even if he never got the coaching or the offensive line he deserved. Carl Banks says that if he played now under offensive thinkers like Chip Kelly or Jim Harbaugh... Are you kidding? He'd be, he was unstoppable then. But the structure that those offenses have now, we'd be talking about an all-time great. Pro football has changed a lot since the 1980s. Both dual-threat quarterbacks and black quarterbacks are no longer rare. In fact, in each of the past four seasons, a dual-threat QB has led his team to the Super Bowl. When I watch uh, Cam play, when I watch Michael Vick play, when I see Bridgewater play, RG3, I want to call them up and let them let them know, man, you guys are doing a great job. I'm proud of you guys. And it's not just because they're African-American, but it's because of the style of their play. Randall sees himself in them. When Cam Newton talks about how unique he is, Randall doesn't care. He's just glad that there are guys like Cam in the league, continuing his legacy, running and throwing, and revolutionizing football. He's got the first down on second down, and then some. Cunningham down the sideline, he'll score. Cunningham dodges left. And he just makes a play that only he can make. This episode was reported and produced by Joe Sykes. It was engineered by Tim Eininkel. Our editor was Julia Henderson with help from Jody Avergan and Rose Eveleth. Production assistance came from Paul Williard, Katie McAuliffe, and Marcus Anderson. Gus Wazarek was our web designer. Tony Chow, Jorge Estrada, and Ryan Nantel helped us in the studio. Thanks also to Katie Ferguson. And a big final shout-out to Pete Giannisini in Bristol. For more about Randall Cunningham, you can check out the companion piece I wrote at 538. And for more 538 podcasts, visit 538.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to our parent podcast, Hot Takedown, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. That's it for this series of Ahead of Their Time. We've really enjoyed telling these stories. And if you've enjoyed them as well, send us an email at podcasts at 538.com. And also be sure to leave Hot Takedown a rating on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show. If you've missed the last four episodes of the series, or even if you like them so much you just can't wait to listen to them again, you can find them all on 538's website. So check them all out, and we'll talk to you very soon.